Good morning. I've mentioned it several times before in the past, but a lot of times the most challenging part of putting a sermon together is the very, very beginning. What are you going to preach about? Uh, And sometimes I feel like I've spent a lot longer on figuring out what to preach on than it takes sometimes to actually then put that lesson together. So because of that, my, my sermon antenna is up all the time because I'm always looking for a sermon idea or a sermon topic or something I hear or something I read or something I see because that part of what to preach about is always a challenge. Well, there's a good example of that happening in a very unexpected way that's going to have an impact on what we're going to talk about this morning. Several weeks ago, I was listening to the radio, and I happened to be listening to sports talk radio at that time. And if you're thinking, well, that sure was exciting, sports talk radio. It was actually a commercial on sports talk radio that I was listening to. So if you thought that was sad that I was listening to sports talk radio, it was actually me listening to a commercial on sports talk radio. But that commercial was insurance. And the commercial itself was something like this. The announcer, the guy talking through the commercial, said, it's a great thing if your favorite ball team is on fire. But it's a terrible thing if your car or house is on fire. And I thought, huh. Now, he was going to sell some insurance to somebody, not me. I have insurance already. But I thought, I'm like, wow, what an incredible sermon that is. On fire or in the fire? And so that's going to be our question this morning. On fire or in the fire? And where we're going to end up, it's one or it's the other. Now where we're going to start is right here in Second Peter chapter 1. Oh man, I got my, my screen isn't working. That's sad. That is so sad. I've got 55 bajillion slides today, and I'm not going to be able to see any of them. So I'll have to have trust and faith that they're all back here behind me. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. It was read for us, and it's a really well-known passage. It really paints the picture of growth. It paints the picture of maturing. We are adding to our faith virtue. We're adding these things. We are building ourselves up. But it's the very beginning of that text, the very beginning of that conversation that I want to draw our attention to, this idea that for this very reason, we're giving all diligence, that we are giving all diligence for this very reason. Now, it is that word, diligence, this is from the New King James Version, it is that word that I really want us to hone in on for a minute today. I want us to hone in on that idea of diligence. Now, what I want us to see is that specifically, that Greek word and what it means. It means with eagerness, forwardness, or with haste. I want us to think, sometimes we we think we've got an understanding about what diligence is. Specifically, this word and how it's used in 2 Peter chapter 1. That we have this idea of what diligence is. Well, I want us to really get an idea about what biblical diligence is this morning. Specifically, this Greek word spude. 
it happens, this particular word, 12 times in the New Testament. 12 times in the New Testament. And we're going to go through all 12 of them pretty quickly. Here is the downside, not for you, but for me. The downside is when I have in my mind a big number of passages that I want to get through very quickly, I do something that I don't love doing. I put those passages up here in the screen so we can work through them very quickly. But the unfortunate thing this morning for me and not for you is I only have those passages listed here in my notes because I was going to read them right here in front of me. So now I'll get to turn around backwards and read them with you this morning so we won't turn to each and every one of these. But I want you to be looking for the usage of this word. And I think it's going to have an impact on you. Only 12 times in the whole New Testament this word is used. We're going to quickly look at all of them. We're going to go in a row, so if you want to turn to them, you certainly can. If you use something different from the New King James, I would recommend you turning. I'll make mention of a couple of other words that are there as well. So Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6 and verse 25 is one of the first instances. Immediately, immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That same word that we saw in, in 2 Peter of giving all diligence, here that same word is translated haste. You may be using the translation that uses the word in hurry, as the New American Standard does. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 and verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. When she's pregnant and she's going to Elizabeth, she goes with haste. Again, the New American Standard uses the phrase in a hurry. Romans chapter 12 and verse 8, he, he who exhorts an exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence. Here is that same word. Again, if you use the English standard version, you're going to see the word zeal here, zeal. A couple of verses down, Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, Serving the Lord. Again, the ESV uses the word zeal. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 5 of the 12 in the book of 2 Corinthians. I found that interesting. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced. The New American Standard, if you have that in your lap, uses the word, and I love it. We're going to come back to it. I love it so much. Earnestness earnestness. The very next verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 12. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Really interesting translation of that same Greek word, care, you see in the New King James, the New American Standard, again renders it as earnestness, the NIV uses the word devoted, which is another word that I like. Again, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, again, in all 
diligence, the New American Standard, earnestness again. The very next verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Again, earnestness is a word that you will see in other places. That same chapter a little bit further down, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. Again, the earnest care. Just a couple more. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11. The ESV, the word again, earnestness. In the book of Jude. In Jude, that one chapter in verse 3. Beloved, I will, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, he begins that passage with, the New American Standard uses the phrase making every effort. The ESV, very eager. And then we'll close back with where we started. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, the 12th time this word is shown. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence add to your faith. The ESV, making every effort. And so when we think about the words that we ran across, certainly diligent, haste, in a hurry, zeal, earnestness, care, devoted, making every effort, eagerness. This is the word I want us to think about. For me, when I was going through that process earlier this week, what stood out was that word earnest. The word earnest. I love the definition of it. It's not a word we use a lot. It's a word we use sometimes, but not a lot. But it's a word I now like a lot. And it means resulting from or showing sincere and intense conviction. So our question this morning. Does that describe your relationship with God? This definition here, sincere and intense conviction. If you were to use a word to describe your relationship with God, is this a word that you would use? What about in the way that you share the gospel with others? That you talk to others about Christ? Think about that. Is this a word that you would use to describe that in your life? As Kevin helped us to focus on at the very beginning of our worship, think about just our worship service the last 40 minutes. Is this a word that you are comfortable using to describe your worship here today? On fire? Earnest? Eager? Making every effort? We can use it per Second Peter chapter 1. Is this a word you could use to describe your maturation in Christ? Your growth in a hurry with haste? Making every effort earnest? 
eager. It is a powerful word. So I want to take this idea and I want to break it down a little bit further. We're going to use one passage that we've used already. If you remember the passage that we read in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, I put up here, we read it in the New King James the first time through. I want to put it up here this time just in the ESV. And I want you to see that there's three pieces to this passage in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I want you to see this morning for a few minutes that this passage contains not not a good idea, not, not something to think about, or not even something to work on. What you read right here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11 are three commands from God. These are things that are not good ideas. These are things that are not, this fits my personality or it doesn't fit my personality. These are not things that I'm comfortable with that or I'm not as comfortable with that. These are three commands given by God. And I want you to look at them as that this morning. And we're going to take each of them kind of, in, you know, kind of in a row. And I want you to focus here on the first one. Do not or don't be slothful in zeal. Don't be slothful in zeal. It's a picture we all have. Whether you've physically seen a sloth or not in person, everyone knows. They're a stereotype, right? I mean, it's one of the biggest stereotyped animal in the animal kingdom. I don't know if he's offended by that or not, but that's the reality. He is a slow mover. And if you have seen one in person, it's borderline unbelievable how slow they actually move themselves. We all understand what's being talked about here. Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 25. He paints a picture of a a king who goes away and he he lives to his servants' talents. Five to one, two for another, one for another. And he he goes away for a while, then he comes back. And when he comes back, he, he asks those servants to give an account of what they've done with his talents. And he has time, and he deals with the one he gave to five, and then he deals with the one that he gave to the two, and then he comes to the one in which he has given the one, and, and this, the one, he does nothing, does nothing with it. And listen to the way Jesus describes him. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 26, this Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back with my own interest. Scathing words from Jesus. Wicked and lazy. In this passage, although we've not read it, on the flip side, the other two servants were described as good and faithful because they made the most of their opportunity. So I'm going to put one application piece with each of these three. And when it comes to this idea, don't be slothful in our zeal. I want us to be thinking about evangelism. And I want us to be thinking about the opportunities that we have that are are all around us. And that God ushers in front of us all the time. 
Now, what do I do with those opportunities? I'll say this. If I am on fire for God, I'm taking advantage of those opportunities. But if if I'm not burning real bright, I'm not super pumped up, I'm not looking for a lot of opportunities to talk to others about Jesus. Let me use a sports analogy. Most everyone knows here that I am a big sports fan, specifically a big Louisville Cardinals fan. And currently, the Louisville Cardinals are terrible. They're terrible. You can giggle about that because it's sad. And as big of a fan as I am, I don't want to talk to anybody about it. I don't even want to watch it. I've watched games the entirety of my life and at times won't miss it. But now, I'm just not interested. I'm not on fire. But when they're winning games, and they're winning a lot of games, and I'm pumped up about it, I'm not missing. And I'm certainly not missing opportunities to talk about it. And you take that same idea that we know, right? We know. And if I'm on fire for God, I'm finding opportunities to talk to others about him. I'm going about it. I want you to look at Romans chapter 12, where we are now in context. We've read Romans 12 and verse 11 a couple of times now specifically, but I want you to listen to the context of this. And here's what I want you to look for. Verbs. This context, it's all about action. Every bit of it. Look for it. Romans chapter 12, beginning of verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Now, do you see the context of this? It is all about action. It's all about doing. It's all about taking advantage. And we're going to do so because I, I don't, I'm not lazy. And I'm not lazy because I'm on fire. And so we've got to be looking at ourselves, and we've got to be seeing where we are. And so the one who expresses zeal for God, per the context, by a sincere love, hating what is evil, clinging to what is good, being on fire for God. Is that you and your evangelism? Is that a word that can be used to describe you or slothful? If you can be honest with yourself this morning and slothful in your zeal for evangelism is your answer, what's needed this morning from you? Repentance. Because we're commanded not to be that. The second piece of this, don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Not only does Paul tell us not to lack in our zeal, he also charges us to keep our spiritual fervor. Here's a a passage for your consideration. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, as Paul is writing to Timothy, the beginning of this letter, really, he says this beginning of verse 6, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, that passage should remind you of another passage that's already been read this morning, not by me, but by Brother Stockton. And that passage from Hebrews, what's the word that we found there? Stirring up. And he made the great point that while we are here together worshiping God, that's what should be happening. That I'm stirring up you, and you're stirring up me, and we are in a spiritual frenzy during our worship. And so our application point for this, being fervent in spirit, you think about your worship. This word in the Greek, fervent, is defined as this way, to be hot to be set aflame, or to boil. Is that a word that can be used to describe your worship today? Set aflame? To be hot? I've made the point before, and I'll make it here again. When we finish worshiping together for an hour, we should at the end of this be exhausted. Exhausted mentally because of the the effort that we're putting in in our worship. But the impact, the impact of being on fire during our worship on the people around us is palpable. Again, we, we know in a cold day or a cold evening, when you're walking around, if you've put a fire out back, where is everyone congregating around the fire? Because that's where the heat is. Maybe you are like me and married uh, to a woman with icicle toes wherever she goes. And although she sleeps under about 47 blankets, those icicle toes somehow find their way to my leg each and every night. Why is that? Because I'm like a normal person and I'm warm. We are pulled and drawn to that. So you, you don't think if, if I am on fire during my worship to God and I'm sitting next to Nate Hawk, that that's not going to have an impact on him? Or if he is on fire in his worship and he's sitting next to me, that's not going to have an impact on me? And now here we are sitting next to one another and we are on fire. Is that not going to have an impact on the people that are sitting in front of us or behind us or beside us? Do you get the idea? Now we have a flame that is just growing. What an incredible worship that would be. Does that describe your worship? On fire for God? One final piece. In this verse... Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. 
It is the importance of serving God here with our whole heart. It is for us, application-wise, hating sin. I hate it. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to have an allusion to it. I don't want it to be around me. I don't want it to be around my family. I don't want it to be around my friends. I don't want to be in the same zip code as it. I don't want to be in the same room as it. And if it's there, I'm leaving. Because I just don't want to have anything to do with it. Why? Because I serve the Lord fervently with earnestness. In the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 23, just 23 and 24, Colossians chapter 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, I love this, whatever you do, do it heartily. What a great word that is. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, you do it heartily. You do it with everything that you have. You serve him with every bit of your fiber. That's why Jesus is able to say when it comes to our love of God, you love him with everything you have. You don't leave anything out. You love him with your brain. You love him with your heart. You love him with your energy. You love him with your spirit. You love him with everything that you have. So there's no love left to go anywhere else. You serve the Lord. You push sin away. And so the same question we'll ask here. Is that how you could describe your relationship with sin? Or do you play around with it a little bit? You know, it's not that huge of a deal. I can handle it. I dip a toe in every now and again, but it's not that big a deal. I can take it. You know, it looks good and it smells good. I like to keep it around because it makes me happy. All of those are deceptions. All of those are illusions. And it's not the way that someone who is on fire for God thinks. Let's transition to the sad end. Because remember, this lesson started with two choices. On fire, or we've spent a predominant amount of our time and on purpose. Because the sad reality is the flip side of that is in the fire. It's alluded to right here in Colossians chapter 3. We didn't read this at the very end of that text, but the sad reality is at the very end of that. Verse 25, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. What a sad reality that is. If you do wrong, there is a price to be paid. And that price is ultimately in the fire. In Matthew chapter 25, where we read with the parable of the talents, we didn't read as deep into that text, but he continues to go on 
and the punishment is laid down upon that wicked and lazy servant who's thrown into the darkness in a place of incredible torment, pain, and gnashing of teeth. In Revelation chapter 21, in that incredible chapter that's talking about the goodness and the greatness of what will be in heaven for God's people, there is a taste of the flip side and a list of sinners to make the point that here is the folks that won't be there enjoying the greatness of heaven, but will be in the fire for all of eternity. Let's close this morning with the reading of a sad, sad story given to us in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 16. There's a story that's told for us in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19 down through verse 31. We're going to close with this reading. I wanted you to be thinking about two things. The first is, let me... And we'll start with what not to be thinking about. A lot of times when we reference this piece of text, what we immediately begin to think about is, well, what is this? Is this a parable? Is this a real story? What is it? Maybe he's going to tell us that. And I'm going to tell you I'm not going to tell you that because it doesn't make a lick of difference. Whether it's a story told to us by Jesus, whether it is real life, the principles and applications for us this morning are all the same. I want you to read this story here with me, and I want you to be thinking about what place you'd like to be. And then we'll close. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fix, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father, Abraham, but... If one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Two realities. The first is, this is certainly a picture that is painted. 
of no place that I want to be. And you have to make that decision for you. But one of the points that's certainly made here is if that is a place that we end up, there is nothing to be done once there. It is a decision that's made. On fire, here. Or in the fire, there. And as we close and we extend an invitation and we begin to think about these things, I want to close with the very end of this conversation because I found it really interesting this week. When he says, listen, just, just have, have him go back. Have him go back and tell my family. Tell him how terrible of a place this is and that they don't, they don't want to be here. What's the point that Jesus makes? I don't need to do that. They have everything that they need to make the decision. And guess what for us here tonight, today? It's the same. We have everything we need to make the decision. We can be on fire for God here. And maybe that comes with difficulty. Maybe that comes with trouble. But what a glorious eternity it will be. Or we can be in the fire for all of eternity. And here, for a small time, we can do whatever we want to do. What an easy decision it is. And what God has done for us is he has provided us everything we need to make that choice. Everything is provided. There's nothing else we need to know. It's all right here. Your sin which separates you from God, what do we do about that? Jesus came to this earth and sacrificed himself, spilt his blood so that through that blood we can have those sins washed away in the waters of baptism. What a beautiful thing that was. We can read about it right here. The life that we need to live after that, we can read about it right here to make sure we are on track to be on fire, not in the fire. But ultimately, it's a decision that we've each got to make. I'll make my decision. I'm going to choose to do my best to be on fire because I don't want to be in the fire. You need to make that choice. And I would encourage you as we sing this song that Matt's going to lead us in to be thinking about what your answer is. And if it isn't that you're on fire now, I would encourage you to make some immediate changes. And maybe we can help you in some way with that this morning. If we can, you let us know as we stand and sing.